I had a real like mouthful of marbles and I, that word didn't come out, but I think I could do it. So you can also just say OBGYN. Okay. I will see. W- let's want. see if I nail it on the first time. <laughs> and if I don't, then that means I'm not going to nail it. So <laughs> there you go. Hello, and welcome to Filmcast Podscene. I'm Film Scene Programming Director Rebecca Fons. And I'm University of Iowa Professor Nathan Platt. We hope our listeners had a great and safe Thanksgiving. Whether you were going solo or feasting with your pod, we also hope you had the opportunity to reflect on what films you've discovered or rewatched in 2020. Moviegoing has looked a lot different this year, but there have still been so many special stories. Nathan, any movie in particular you've enjoyed this year? Yeah, so there are a lot of movies that I've enjoyed, and we were talking about this before recording the episode, and a lot of the movies that I've enjoyed are movies that we've talked about on the podcast, and so I was sort of thinking back through those and how much I really enjoyed the cinematography and music and Martin Eden and how neat it was to watch Once Upon a River and River City Drumbeat in part because those were stories that I just felt were really, really important. But also it was great to talk to the filmmakers who were involved with making them. Um, But a film that I've watched actually quite recently, this was recommended to me by Jamie Powers at Deluxe Bakery, whom we've talked about on, on earlier episodes. And I watched it with my whole family. It's on Netflix. It's called My Octopus Teacher. And it was kind of perfect. It's, uh, I know it's a film that a lot of people already are familiar with, and you can probably get it, get the gist of it from the title, but it's about a documentarian. His name's Craig Foster, and he has a bit of a sort of creative slash identity crisis and decides to go home to South Africa and really step back from his work as a filmmaker and try to reconnect with his roots, which in this case means a lot of swimming off the um, uh, off the Cape Peninsula in South Africa, so right on the right on the Horn of Africa, and in doing that, he t- strikes up this relationship with with an octopus in the swimming grounds where he is, and spends about a year going out daily to swim with this octopus and to also just to take notice of essentially the world that she lives in. And so I think I was thinking that it feels kind of COVID friendly, not only not only because the film is just him and this animal and 95% of the film is under underwater and the cinematography is amazing, but also kind of that, that just a film that is encouraging you to sort of notice more closely your own surroundings. And in this case, you know, this is a space that he thinks that he knows well, but comes to know in a completely different way, just through this really, really sort of daily routine and sort of mindful swimming with this octopus. And and the other thing that's just kind of astonishing about it is, you know, the, this capacity for what seems to be, you know, a genuine relationship between the two and, you know, a, a relationship that's really at its root about trust and curiosity. <laughs> and by the time you get to the end of the film, you're like, oh, yeah, that's kind of like what all good relationships are, really, fundamentally. Like, that's if, if you have those two things, you're probably going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. You think, well, what on earth is this animal doing? And I think she was a little bit afraid of me, so she lifted this incredibly slippery uh, piece of algae. 
that you can hardly hold with your hands and just wrap it in this extraordinary cloak around her and then stare at me out of the little gap. And so, and obviously you learn, you learn a lot about octopi, but it's really about the, the relationship that's stunning. That's so great. Yeah, you're like the third person to tell me to watch this movie. So consider it, <laughs> consider it done. I will watch it soon. It sounds lovely. That's great. Yeah, well, I enjoyed it. Well, how, how about you? Um, you know, I saw a film in March, uh, Alexander Nanao's documentary called Collective, um, which is currently on uh, in Film Scene's virtual screening room. And it's also a documentary. It's and it's just it has haunted me since March. Some of the images have haunted me, but just the story itself. So it's about this ragtag kind of scrappy team of sports journalists in Romania who uncovered just this incredible um, cover-up. They uncover the cover-up of, of injustices oh. and and corruption um, following a, a tragic fire at a nightclub. So there's a fire. Many, oh many gosh. people are injured. Young people are injured. And then following that, they um, the healthcare system basically betrays them and 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 doesn't care for them and and because of that many more of them who didn't have to die die so it's very dark in that way i mean it's very shocking i mean my Mm -hmm. my literally gasp worthy moments jaw-dropping footage um moments of discovery that just sort of stop you in your tracks but it's also you know, so there's the, there's the evil corruption and the evil sort of, you know, corporate raiders who are doing the bad thing because of money, you know, and because of just negligence. Mm-hmm. But there's also at the core, which is, is, is positive and inspiring, is this group of journalists who are, you know, they have very few resources, but they are just like doggedly pursuing the truth and pursuing justice and wow. and and change comes from that change you know uh, justice yeah. and change comes from that and it's just like the acts it's everything you want from a doc it's like the access is incredible the discoveries are monumental mm-hmm. that, that you get to know the people mm-hmm. really well the team the players um and i just i would say it's one of the best films of 2020 by far and i imagine that it will it's already wow. won awards at numerous film festivals i imagine it will be up for consideration for big um, documentary awards and it just I mean I have been thinking about that movie for nine months I mean it's just it's one of those films that mm-hmm. I couldn't believe what I was seeing uh, unfold and it's it's really really it sticks with you yeah yeah no that's that's fantastic when well, it sounds like uh, I don't know that our two films have a lot in common aside <laughs> from the uh, this idea that you know great great films take you to places that you didn't really even know existed and yeah. stories that you didn't realize were were, were so important yeah and, and, and yeah there, this sounds really really and neat. the theme of trust I mean like you yeah. know the, the, who you trust and the relationships that you you hold dear I mean I think they're you know I always like to find a theme even if it seems really hard yes, to but yeah. I, I do think there is that theme of like trusting in your colleagues trusting in yourself and trusting in the systems around you and, and if you can yes. like you know really embracing that trust and if you can't like finding the trust you know elsewhere so elsewhere yeah good good films to watch good films in there we go double feature right double there feature. We, we didn't even plan it yeah <laughs> <laughs> on today's episode we're talking about two more gems from 2020 first we discuss tanya cipriano's intimate documentary born to be and then we get lit with mads mickelson in thomas vinterberg's inebriated drama another round first though a brief message from a campaign that's helping make this all possible. 18 months ago, the Englerton film scene announced Strength and Grow Evolve, our collaborative campaign with a mission to build the greatest small city for the arts by preserving our history, creating new spaces, and expanding our reach to the whole community. When the campaign began, 
We could not have anticipated the financial devastation of the pandemic in 2020. While we've raised an incredible $5 million of our $6 million objective and achieved many of our goals, our work takes on new importance as we fight to keep our organizations alive and thriving in this socially distanced reality. We're wrapping up this campaign amidst immense challenges, and we need you for the closing act. To give now, go to strengthengrowevolve.org and help us ensure the long-term success of the arts through the pandemic and beyond. We're so grateful for your support, and with your help, we will achieve more together. Born to Be follows the work of Dr. Jess Tang at the groundbreaking Mount Sinai Center for Transgender Medicine and Surgery in New York City, where, for the first time ever, all transgender and gender nonconforming people have access to quality transition-related health and surgical care. With extraordinary access and an unwavering eye, Born to Be examines how the modest, hardworking Tang impacts the lives of his patients and how the work he does continues to impact his own life. We also get to know the patients themselves, learning their personal histories and how gender-affirming surgery has transformed their futures. Before entering the medical profession, Ting studied to become a double bassist, and his love for music plays as counter-melody to the narratives of individual patients. When I learned the bass, I never had a teacher. I just had to teach myself. I would practice hours every day from when I got home to when I went to bed. So I got into Juilliard with basically like two lessons. We hear a lot of music by Johann Sebastian Bach, a Baroque composer whose work has been praised for mapping out human experience, the spiritual, the intellectual, and the exuberantly physical. This fits well in a film that helps us understand just how multidimensional gender is. For our discussion around the film, which approaches the subject matter with a medical lens, we wanted to connect with someone locally who could speak about the film with an understanding of the field of transgender medicine and who could talk about resources here in Iowa City for those interested in learning more. We're so thrilled to welcome Miriam Murray, MD, an obstetrician gynecologist who works at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics and who specializes in lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning care. Dr. Murray, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. And we were just wondering if you could start by just giving us a little bit of an introduction to the film. And and in particular, what are some of the ways that you see Born to Be as perhaps important, uh, an important part of sort of the story and of growing awareness of gender affirming treatments and surgery? So I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me is how overwhelmed Dr. Tang's practice is with the sheer volume of patients who are transgender and need gender affirming care And just the lack of access because of the fact that there's so little training available. So they talk about in the film that um, they're working on starting a fellowship for transgender surgery. And the reality is that that is, as far as I'm aware, the only fellowship. And 
even that is it's space for one person who takes an entire year to sort of learn this. And so it's certainly very, very limited the number of people who are able to provide some of these more complex gender affirming surgeries. A surgeon from Argentina who's like the world expert in this operation taught me how to do it. This is the first one that I'm doing alone. So a little nervous. And that was sort of the biggest thing that stood out to me because it's also something I see a lot of in my practice. So I'm not a plastic surgeon. I am exclusively, in terms of my training, a gynecologic surgery surgeon. And so the only things that I can do that I have adequate training for are things like removing the uterus, removing the ovaries, removing the fallopian tubes. Um, at times I can do a little bit of shortening of a vagina, but I don't have training and haven't been able to to access training so far in doing things like vaginoplasty or phalloplasty um, because of how limited the resources are for actually gaining that training. One of the reasons why we're always running late is because I want to try and see as many patients as we can. How are you? I'm Alicia. We need to train more doctors. That's the real answer. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Hi, I'm Dr. Tang. I'm Casey. Hey, Casey. <laughs> nice to meet how's you. How's it going? Good. This how is Bella Avanesian. Bella is the first transgender surgery fellow. That's exciting. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. The reason why we started a fellowship is because there's such a need for more surgeons to do transgender surgery. There isn't a way for surgeons to learn now. There's no formalized training program. There are no standards. This is the first transgender surgery fellowship training program in the United States. Yeah, I felt when I was watching the film, like Dr. Ting and his colleagues, they all just seem like such precious cargo. You know, it's like what they know and what they've learned and what they're able to teach feels so... And on top of that, they're doing, you know, surgeries. There's that great sequence where he's just, you know, booked up and he's like going from room to room. And it's just like how I feel like there are probably so many listeners and so many viewers who just weren't aware of the scarcity of care and the, you know, the necessity of care. And I just I wonder if you feel like this film I think I think you do, but if you can speak about how this film really kind of represents the like the the you know the the groundbreaking work he's doing, but how like there's still there's still that real big gap between what he's doing and what ne where we need to be. So in in my practice right now, I do a combination of I do the hormone therapy for transgendered or non-binary men and transgendered or non-binary women, um, and as well as doing what I am trained in in terms of gender affirming surgeries, which are for transgender men for the most part, although definitely I have some non-binary patients who I do surgery for. But the reality is that even for me, having that be a big part of my practice, the backlog of surgeries that I have, even with my limited scope of practice, is kind of shocking to me already. And it's not that I have a special skill. I'm doing surgeries that are the same as anyone else, but it's the fact that this is my specific area of interest. And these are patients whose hormones I can also manage. And they know that I'm a person they can come to and feel really comfortable that I'm not going to have any kind of stigmas associated with the fact that they're transgender. Um, I have gotten to be somebody who's very um, comfortable with the terminology and I don't find myself accidentally misgendering people. And so I think that has led to this sort of backlog of surgeries that I 
have to do, even though they're not super specialized. And, you know, I think the film does some really great sort of educational steps in terms of, you know, they they um, identify the pronouns for each person, you know, whether or not they may be, you know, sort of showing that gender should not be assumed. I think they do a really good job of that. I think they do a good job of, again, kind of like laying out um, some of the sort of mechanics of the surgeries, but also the the emotion and the timeline and the the stress and the the cost. I think they do a really good job of doing all those things. And, and do you sense that in terms of maybe our community, but maybe the community at large, there's still so much education. I mean, this this feels like a good step, and there are a lot of films. Um, so many films can be educational and that they can, you know, tell you a story, but also teach you a lot. Do you feel like you get a sense of the larger community is kind of getting up to speed, and and we're all getting a little bit better, you know, properly, yeah, you know, uh, gender pronouns and properly using pe- pro- people's proper pronouns and respecting their their names and things like that. Do you feel like you see a, a movement in that direction? I certainly think there's movement in that direction. And a lot of it, I think, can be attributed to film and even TV shows. So I'm starting to see more transgender characters, more non-binary characters in film and TV, even in, you know, fictional uh, films, as well as things like uh, Born TV, where you're really getting to see individuals' experiences. And I think it partially also helps demystify this whole idea of somebody being transgender, Um, gender is something that has become such an important thing to our society as a whole. I think so many people, so much of how they define themselves is by their gender. Um, and so it makes this whole idea for somebody who, you know, hasn't really been exposed to anyone who they know is transgender and who has never experienced any sense of gender dysphoria makes this, this, this very mystical kind of mysterious thing to people. And I think films like this help demystify it and show that these are just normal people who happen to have been born with a body that doesn't match up with their soul. Mahogany, she has this internal image of herself that is very mismatched to her external appearance and causes her a lot of pain difficulty. We're just going to make her external face and her internal identity match. We're going to make her home. Wow. I So I have a question about that, actually, leaving off on Soul. I found this film really interesting and and very helpful for, for, for me in terms of just better understanding the experiences and the issues that the trans community faces. Because this is a film that is so, so much emphasizing the medical dimension of these experiences, do you feel that, I mean, are there, are there parts of the story that, not necessarily that the film leaves out, the film can't possibly be the, the first and last word on this issue, but are there things that you wish or that you would like people to sort of think about after they've seen the film that might not be addressed in the film. Absolutely. So I think one of the biggest things that I sometimes talk to trainees about and medical students that I'm working with is that in doing these surgeries, what I'm trying to do is treat gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is when somebody's sex assigned at birth does not line up with their internal sense of who they are. Now, there are people who are transgendered and do not have any dysphoria associated with it. So there are people who, without ever having any kind of medical intervention, live as a gender that is opposite or live as a non-binary person, um, and they don't experience dysphoria, and they don't desire any medical treatment. And that is 
absolutely okay. It doesn't, there's not a certain step in the process that sort of makes somebody finished with their transition. There's not a start point and an end point that's the same for everybody. And so these surgeries are really just treatments for gender dysphoria. And there are some people who ultimately at the end of the game, for them, their gender dysphoria is treated and it's gone and they feel fully comfortable mm-hmm. and like their skin yeah. is the same as their soul. Yeah. And I feel like the film does a good job of showing that journey in, in the variations within the journey, you know, that there's there are some sort of like finish lines and there are some continual maps, you know, and I think that's it, it does a great job of just humanizing that process for I imagine a lot of viewers who are completely new to the language and to the the um, the area of care. So um, I'm glad to hear that that ref- is reflected in, in, in your professional experience as well. I didn't see the future, but now I can see a future because I'm happy to exist in my body. Okay, you just made my day. One thing I, I wonder for folks who are listening, if, if they are interested in learning more or finding ways to support members of the community that may be seeking your care, how, how might they do that? That's sort of a huge question. And maybe there, maybe there isn't an answer to it, but how, how folks in Iowa City and Eastern Iowa could kind of do more to support? So one way that I think that people can do really well to support is just being conscious of the things that they say and the way that they interact with the people around them. Um, And like you mentioned before, not making assumptions just because you meet somebody in person or even hear their voice and you think that you know their gender, you don't need to assume that. I have finally, it's taken me a very long time, um, but have trained myself to start asking people what their pronouns are or going with a gender neutral pronoun until I know. So I do a lot of they, them, theirs pronouns until I actually figure out what somebody's preferred pronouns are. And that can be very affirming for somebody who's transgender and has been going through a lot of struggles with being misgendered. Um, so I think that's the number one way to support LGBTQ people, specifically transgendered or non-binary people, um, is just by, you know, paying attention to the way that you use language. Um, in terms of actual available resources, so I, the uh, University of Iowa's website for our LGBTQ clinic, which is located at Iowa River Landing, has a ton of really helpful and interesting resources for family, friends of transgender people, as well as transgender individuals. Um, Everything from talks from a wonderful pharmacist that we have going through the changes people might see as they start hormones, to links to legal documents to work on changing people's legal name and legal legal gender. Um, So I have actually found that to be an incredible useful resource that I even sometimes will pull up while I'm in the room with a patient because I'll realize they've asked a question I don't know the answer to, but I'm even able to use that website. Another great resource um, is UC San Francisco has a really incredible um, transgender medicine program that they have all kinds of awesome resources available online. All of our patients have had to climb all these barriers just to get to the point where they're ready to have surgery. help someone transform physically into what they feel they should be and seeing how that changes them as a person that's been pretty incredible but 
we can't repair the wounds to the soul or the mind that have been born over a lifetime of neglect and hate. Maybe for all the rest of us, it's time to just change. Thank you so much for providing, you know, an additional insight and a local insight to the film. And I think, um, I think, I hope, I hope that the film will continue to provide education, even if it's just folks, you know, taking the moment to, you know, call someone them rather than making assumptions or, or maybe sharing the film with someone who um, may be inspired by the work of Dr. Ting and then also the work that's happening locally in Iowa City and Eastern Iowa. So I, we really appreciate your your medical point of view. You're our first doctor on the mm-hmm. podcast, too. Oh! <laughs> that I know of. I don't know. I think I think so. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I did think of one additional resource that I want to hype up because yes, it's amazing. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Um, so the College of Education here at the University of Iowa actually actually has an LGBTQ counseling center. And it is a place where some of the psychology students actually get some of their training, but also work under, you know, trained and credentialed psychologists. And it's where a lot of the patients who end up needing a letter of support for their transition will go and get counseling prior to, say, starting hormones or having a surgery. And they provide wonderful gender-affirming mental health care They are such a wonderful resource for really anybody who's a part of the LGBTQ community who wants to go somewhere and get, number one, inexpensive and easily accessible. Um, Mm -hmm. Number well, I guess that's number two. Number two, inexpensive and easily accessible, but number one, super affirming and supportive care. That's That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much for um, providing more insight and uh, and stay warm and, and have a good rest of your year. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Miriam. Thanks, Miriam. Born to Be is available now in Film Scene's virtual screening room, courtesy Kino Lorber, and is presented in partnership with Iowa City Pride. Virtual tickets to this film and all Pride at Film Scene presentations are just $5. Last episode, we admitted that Alice Gu's documentary, The Donut King, would make you hungry for donuts. Thomas Vinterberg's Another Round is a drama about drinking, but it's less likely to make you thirsty. Four friends decide to test a shaky hypothesis that maintaining a steady blood alcohol content will make them more creative and more passionate about their daily work. The four friends are, of course, middle-aged men. They work at the same school in Denmark, and their various beefs seem distinctly middle-aged and male. Whether it's teaching, parenting, or intimacy, there's a vague sense of having fallen short, and it's hard for them to parse when and where things started to fail. So they agree to self-medicate with alcohol and diligently record their findings for the benefit of science. It's not a spoiler to say their experiment does not end well, 
but it almost certainly does not develop the way you might imagine. And that's where things get interesting. As the men bond over their secret trial, we see their relationships to their work, their colleagues, and their families warp in unexpected ways. Another round won't change your attitude about drinking, but it will raise some provocative ideas for thinking about the ways that self-worth and meaning are perhaps best grasped in those precarious moments of, of error, loss, and grace. Nathan, I have a lot of thoughts about this film, um, but my first one is that I just want to spend a moment talking about Mads Mikkelsen, who is the actor who plays Martin, sort of the, it's an ensemble piece, but he's sort of the protagonist and the and the one we spend the most time with. And Mads Mikkelsen, I mean, I just, he's one of my favorite faces in, in Hollywood right now. He's He really uh, cuts a, an interesting sort of um, figure on screen. He's really spectacular. And, you know, he's been a character in uh, Rogue One, the Star Wars movie. Jen, come here. Remember, whatever I do, I do it to protect you. He was a bad guy in the Doctor Strange movie, but he's also, you know, I mean, those are sort of just mainstream. I think he's probably just showing up and doing his thing, but he's also a really, really incredible actor. And I feel like in this film, we get to see that range you know, joyful, sorrowful, furious, drunk. You know, there's we get to see a lot of Mads Mikkelsen, which is never a bad thing. I think of his opening scenes where we see him kind of fail as a teacher in the classroom. Basically, just he's he's almost incoherent in terms of the, the lesson that he's trying to teach the students. And he seems totally disengaged from what he's doing. And then he goes home and kind of it's it's almost more of the same. And you would think... At that point, like, why would you even care about this character? You might be thinking, oh, boy, if this is if this is our protagonist, um, I, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to stick around for a while. Yeah. Um, but you're, you're totally drawn yeah. in because you realize it's not what he's saying. It's what he's not saying. And it's this kind of mm-hmm. sense of like, OK, mm-hmm. we are not seeing this person at their finest hour. But clearly, this is somebody that we should care yeah. about and, and who has things that they're that that they're thinking about even if they're not sort of able to sort of articulate that yet yeah yeah and I think you know early on in the film you know after we see him sort of you know muddling through life he goes out to dinner with his three friends you know this group of teachers and he they're all cheersing it's a friend's birthday and you know he he just he his eyes fill with tears, you know, and there's a restraint in that moment um, because he's sort of everything. The, 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 the scenes that we've seen, you know, that represent his personal life and his professional life are sort of culminating in this moment where he doesn't really have anything to celebrate. And they're getting older, you know, and they're sort of celebrating aging. And um, and it's a really that's where sort of his multitudes start to really come to the surface and things get really interesting. And, and you know, it's in that moment that he really confesses his unhappiness. That they sort of think about doing this crazy experiment, which is just getting drunk and staying drunk all the time, which, 
you know, I mean, I think in 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 a lesser filmmaker's hands and maybe a la- a lesser actor's hands, this could have gotten really slapsticky and really kind of foolish. It'd be the Hangover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, it's like a kid, Adam Sandler on the phone. Yeah, like, right, be, right. You know, he could do this. Um, not to knock Adam Sandler, but he could, you know, he could do this sort of more like you know uh, gallows humor version of this film. But but in in the hands of Thomas Vinterberg and in the in with Mads Mikkelsen at the helm. The, the sadness and the like just the sense of like loss and the past is is just on the surface and what they're what they're chasing um, away or they're chasing to get back is just that's what's leading and yes there are boozy scenes but like that is what it's all about is that they we start at this place of of lack and we're trying to get to a place of of you know of of the uber man or the uber husband or the best teacher or all you know all of those things that they think that they've lost I'm thinking about the opening scene of the film, which is a bunch of is a bunch of their students, like just totally getting sick drunk, and and it's I mean I mean it's a drinking game, and they're and they're they're vomiting, and it's gross, and they're and but it's also this sort of bacchanalia, right? And then a, you know minutes later, we're at this party where we have these four men who are sitting around drinking and sort of talking about you know the various ways in which they think their lives are working or not working, and that that sort of uh, duality between those two extremes, which is on the one hand, a kind of a, a sort of, you know, uh, dr- drinking to excess, drinking, drinking without, you know, heeding any sort of sense of responsibility or whatever. And then this more sort of uh, seemingly kind of measured or adult form of drinking of like why we turn to this for, for uh, celebration or cultivation or this sort of unlocking of, of insights. And the film kind of, you know, uh, tax back and forth between these extremes, but within you know these these four characters in ways that I just found really intriguing. So you know, for a while, their experiment seems to be working, right? That's part of how we get the, get the movie is like they are doing better and they are teaching more effectively and they're connecting with their students and their their yeah. spouses and stuff. But um, it's you know, I mean, all good things. There's part of of what they're doing that you re- that anybody of a certain age who you know remembers when they were funnier or smarter or more attractive or whatever thinks about like oh yeah like if you could chase that if you could capture that again you know wouldn't you wouldn't you want to try it so you really kind of go along with them on that ride and to what you were saying about how the film begins with this moment of these kids you know just drinking and having a great time you know it's like in in that moment it's like this is virility this is youth this is gorgeousness and athleticism and the prime of your life like this is what life is meant to be. You know, and then it literally cuts to black. And then you see these sort of, you know, pathetic men, you know, going through their pathetic lives. But what I like what the film does is it it sort of flips that on its head because you get to know the students a little bit, not a lot, but you get to see that they also have anxiety. They also have, you know, stress and they also have... Um, you know, their drinking and having a good time doesn't indicate that they're just happier, you know. And so I think they do a good job of showing then also that the drinking and having a good time of these adult men doesn't necessarily solve their problems. It creates new ones. It does sort of solve some issues, but it's it's just it's an interesting juxtaposition of, of so sobriety versus, um, you know, fall down drunk of, of youth versus middle age of success versus failure. It sort of like throws those all together, you know, and puts like a twist of lime in there. I am in the land. 
I think the educational setting really is what makes that sort of special because I do think most you know most films about you know that make drinking their centerpiece do not are not set in in a situation where we're talking about students and teachers both and I think that that part you know the fact that one of them teaches history and one teaches psychology and one's a music teacher and the other one's a coach and so we kind of get to see the school from a variety of different perspectives we get to see the students doing different things and we get to sort of see their differing relationships with each of these men and that's I think that really kind of actually gets to the crux of where I was like wow I what is so what is so surprising about this film because I I just sort of kind of watched it in a sort of perpetual state of like wow I had no idea that this film would feel this way totally I think I I thought it was going to be hilarious, you know, and I th- and I thought it or I thought it was going to be sort of like, well, they did this and they learned their lesson, or like, well, they did this and it didn't work out great. I mean, there are lessons learned and it doesn't necessarily work out great um, to varying degrees, but it it it's sort of like, you know, I mean, in vino veritas a little bit, you know, I mean, they sort of like learn a lot about themselves and and whether or not they needed alcohol to do it is kind of up to you to decide as the viewer you know there's sort of interpretations of 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 that um that are ambiguous but it does tell them a lot about themselves and i think and i think that them uh drunk in front of their students being you know the king of the classroom or the best coach ever like it's it's false you know so they see themselves in those students that in those past selves that they wish they could be but it's it's a fallacy because they're not themselves. They are a drunk version of themselves, or you know, to to whether they're at 0.5 BAC or 1.5 BAC, you know. So it's 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 sort of this like hollow joy, which I think is where the film gets more interesting for me because, you know, they're doing this under the guise of this experiment. But I think they all because they're educators and because they're you know smart guys, they all know that it's like fake. You know, it's not it's not real. It's not to last which i think is where the sort of the sadness comes into it because i did feel the feel the film was sad really really sad at times i and i will say one final thing about and i don't want to do any spoilers but there's a final scene i guess if you've ever wanted to see mads mickelson dance you will be in for a treat and i just wanted to see like did you read that as a joyful dance or did you read it as a sort of sorrowful dance so I felt like his character was in a joyful space, but I felt like the film, like how we were supposed to feel at that moment was a lot more equivocal and I, kind of, to me, sort of summed up the film as a whole. This is not a film that is necessarily like anti or pro alcohol, I don't think. I mean, in, in terms mm-hmm, of in terms of mm-hmm. drinking, yeah, I agree. Um, it shows you a lot of the sort of the best and the worst that can happen, you know, if if mm-hmm. when when people mm-hmm. um, when people drink. And so having this sequence that, like you said, is well has 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 dancing in it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying <laughs> trying not to, to to give too much away. But but I I, I thought yeah, wow, what a yeah. what a sort of mysterious way to end it. I mean, in some ways, it reminded me of the end of Beautrevai. Oh um, my gosh, yes. Because there's a there there's a there's a similar sort of spirit of uh, musical energy. And, letting go and, sort of. and also like just a huge question mark over the whole thing like where you almost feel like the filmmakers going 
so what do you think I, I mean by this? Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, that can be annoying under certain, certain circumstances, but in, in the case of both these films, they've definitely earned it, and it's really, it really gives you a lot to sort of... To think, to, to question and think about and, and wonder what's yeah. next for these characters. Like, what happens after the dancing? What happens in the very next scene? What happens in the next week? And I think, yeah, the dancing is sort of um, at times... Because it stops in mid... In yes. mid Literally, Literally in, mid, in mid move. <laughs> but I mean, I think there's sort of a, a level of like freneticness to yeah. um, his his dance moves. There's a sense of letting go, but also sort of like he's out of control. And I, so I totally yes. agree with you. It's sort of a reflection of the whole film, um, and and really leaves a lot of questions and, and a lot of interpretation uh, to the viewer. And I think that's great. And and then you get to see Mads Mikkelsen dance, which is like bonus. Another round is available in Film Scene's virtual screening room, courtesy Samuel Goldwyn Films, and is free for Film Scene members all December long. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Filmcast Podscene. On our next episode, we'll be discussing the work of Hong Kong genius Wong Kar Wai and welcoming a special guest to share their favorite holiday films. Until next time, happy watching. <laughs>